and welcome to Spartan Spirits Leadership, where we take a close look at your leaders and just how well they're looking after Western society's best interests. I'm your host, Bill Karolakis. I'm a retired senior Air Force officer, and today we're going to look at what the United Kingdom's Secretary of State, David Cameron, has been saying about funding for the Ukraine-Russian war. As always, my aim is to focus on Western values of democracy, individual rights, and most of all, a nation-first perspective, because they are the foundation of Western societies, and I think they're worth fighting for. I was inspired to talk about the Ukraine-Russian war because twice over the recent Christmas break, I saw articles suggesting it was time for the Ukraine to negotiate a peace with Russia. That is defeatist talk, and I can't abide by it. Now, I've covered the Russian-Ukrainian war in a previous podcast, so I'm not going to go over the background of that war, nor will I go on at length about why the West should be sending combat troops into the Ukraine to end this war. If you want to hear more about that logic, listen to episode 5 of Best for the West. But I do believe that the Ukraine should be a major, if not the major, focus for Western governments and their militaries in 2024, because that war is fundamentally about just how far Russia will take its expansionist agenda at the expense of Western societies. Thus, I'm going to give you an update on how that war is going, with a focus on what the West is doing for the Ukraine. The assistance going to the Ukraine comes in three general forms. Financial, military equipment, supplies or training, or humanitarian aid. The Ukraine needs all three of those, but first and foremost, it needs military equipment and supplies. Before I get into that aid, let's look at how the war is going, very briefly. And note, this is being recorded in early January 2024, and won't be published until February, so it's a little bit dated. Russia has been lobbing a lot of missiles into the Ukraine, many hitting civilian targets, and interestingly, there's evidence to suggest that Russia is now using missiles made in North Korea, which implies a weapons shortage for Russia, and that's a good sign. On the ground, the war is basically in a tit-for-tat situation, with small gains being made on both sides. In other words, there's not much more to it. Basically, the war continues to be a stalemate, and the key worry for the Ukrainians is that they continue to rely on the West for equipment and munitions. If you're a Russian strategist, playing the long game is in your favor because the West may grow weary of funding the Ukraine. And it is this very issue that we will focus on when we consider what Western leaders are saying about the West's commitment to the war in the Ukraine we can glean some of this issue from a post by David Petraeus, who's the retired four-star general and ex-CIA director, who wrote on the 6th of January about what the U.S. State Department was doing and saying. And this is a quote. The provision of U.S. aid remains critical because Ukraine is not yet able to defend itself but will not need to continue at current levels because Ukraine is working to expand its defense industry to be able to stand on its own feet, end quote. 
And it went on to say recent large-scale Russian strikes were targeting Ukrainian industrial facilities to degrade their ability to actually create their own war effort. It's good to see that everyone recognizes this as a center of gravity for the entire campaign. If the Ukraine can supply itself, then there is far less risk of the West abandoning the campaign due to excessive cost or war weariness. And if the Russians are targeting Ukrainian military industry, then they recognize that center of gravity as well. Another indication of how important the military hardware and ammunition supply issue is for the Ukraine came from NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg in December 23 when he said the following. There are no signs that Putin is preparing for peace. Instead, the Kremlin is preparing for a long and grinding war. Stopping military assistance to Kiev would prolong the war, not end it. Because if Putin wins in the Ukraine, there is a real risk that his aggression will not end there. End quote. Now, his words aren't 100% clear, but the hint here is that if Russia can win the war in the Ukraine, then the rest of Europe should expect more conflict in other areas. Unfortunately, there is a worrying sign that support may be waning in some quarters. In the U.S., a $50 billion package is on hold due to political wrangling over migrants on the southern U.S. border, with Republicans saying they won't pass the money for Ukraine unless the Democrats vote to stop the migrants' flow. With this in mind, some Western leaders have been lobbying the U.S. to look at the big picture here. Russian aggression cannot be rewarded, nor can Europe or the U.S. afford to embolden Russia by letting their support for the Ukraine slip. Thus it was that the United Kingdom's Foreign Secretary David Cameron went to the U.S. to lobby for continued support. But first, for those of you who aren't familiar with who David Cameron is, I'll give you some background. He became a British Member of Parliament in 2001, and then the British Prime Minister in 2010. Continuing on and winning again in 2015, after which he introduced the Brexit referendum. And in that referendum, he campaigned to remain in the European Union. But when the vote went against staying in the Union, Cameron resigned as Prime Minister, and that was in 2016. He returned to Parliament in November 23 as a life peer and a member of the House of Lords, and he was appointed as the Foreign Secretary. Now, Rishi Sunak, who is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, is up for election probably in the next year or so. And whether Sunak wins in that next election is anyone's guess. But Cameron was a successful Prime Minister in his own right, and he's likely to bolster Sunak's chances of winning the upcoming election. Thus, he's someone to watch, particularly if you're a voter in the United Kingdom. Now let's look at what David Cameron had to say about supporting the Ukraine in its war with Russia. We can pull most of his views from two speeches he gave in late 2023, and here are a few points he made. He started by pointing out a very interesting fact. Cameron argued that aid rendered so far has provided a huge return on investment for the U.S. and the West. And he noted that America has spent about 10% of one year's defense budget aiding and arming the Ukraine since Russia's invasion in early 2022. With that the Ukraine has destroyed half of Russia's pre-war military assets, not only preventing Russian President Vladimir Putin from chalking up a win, which would encourage him towards more aggression, but sending a message of unity to China and reassuring U.S. allies. 
And Cameron said, quote, Now, if that isn't a good investment, I don't know what is, end quote. He also said, quote, Ukraine doesn't even really have a navy, but they managed to sink about a fifth of the Russian Black Sea fleet. I'm sure the Pentagon is excited by the value for money on offer there. I mean, it's a remarkable thing, end quote. With respect to the uncertainty over whether Congress will approve more aid for the Ukraine, Cameron argued the ultimate outcome in Ukraine takes time and is worth investing in. Cameron noted that almost 90% of U.S. money spent on the Ukraine actually stays in America to manufacture weaponry and material. That production is key, he said, because the Russian invasion has been a tremendous wake-up call to the West in terms of the West needing to resume the building up of its war stocks. He made a very salient point that all Western nations need to consider. Quote, I think we're at a point where we've got to stop thinking about how we're running down our existing stocks to supply the Ukraine. We need to think much more about how we build up our stocks. And I think in a more dangerous and insecure world, supply chains, stocks, defense commitments, these things have become more important. End quote. And isn't he right about all of that? Very, very astute. While in the U.S., he gave a number of interviews and speeches, and he generally concluded with the following points. First, it's critical that Congress approve more aid to encourage other allies around the world to keep supporting the Ukraine. And he said, quote, You'll be able to go to all the other European countries and say, Right, you've seen what the U.S. have done. Now you will need to join in, end quote. Second point, failure to support the Ukraine would be a victory for Putin, and if it is, it won't be the end of this. Third, if we let Putin win in Ukraine, it will be somewhere else next. And it won't just be American money that's at risk. It might be a NATO country that's attacked, so it could be American lives. Fourth, avoiding all this is definitely worth 10% of your defense budget. Fifth, making a final pitch for more USA to the Ukraine, Cameron warned, quote, if that money doesn't get voted through, there are only two people that will be smiling. One of them is Vladimir Putin in Russia. The other is Xi Jinping in Beijing. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to give either of those people a Christmas present, end quote. Alongside his support for direct aid, Cameron also supported the use of sanctions against Russia, noting that, quote, that's $400 billion that Russia doesn't have for its war machine, end quote. And he had a novel idea that I think really shows how he has the Spartan spirit on this issue. And he said, I think there's a very strong argument for saying, instead of just freezing that money, let's take that money. Spend it on rebuilding Ukraine. If you like, a down payment on the reparations that Russia will one day have to pay for the illegal invasion that they've undertaken, end quote. I think that's an awesome suggestion. It speaks to the notion of total war and just how important this war really is for the West. I think far too many countries have their collective heads in the sand with just how important it is to stop Russia. It's time we take this war more seriously in the West. Yes, take the Russian money and spend it on weapons and supports for the Ukraine. 
And while we're considering the notion of just how important this war really is, I think it's worth having a look at a few statistics to make comparisons. So let's start with a very telling statistic that Dave Cameron alluded to. The U.S. has spent 10% of one year's defense budget on the Ukraine to supply military equipment and training. That equates to around 0.2% of the U.S. GDP. Let's look at what some other nations are spending in terms of percent GDP. And these figures are all roughly from October 23. And I'll note that the U.S. has provided other aid, not just military aid, and it takes their figure up to about 0.25% of their GDP, and that's really a measure of the pain they're absorbing to support the Ukraine, and that's around $80 billion. But while the U.S. donates the most in terms of total dollars, in terms of percent GDP, they actually rank about 15th. Now, you do need to remember that the U.S. is involved in other conflicts around the world, and so they're pulling their weight in other areas. And therefore, you can't just look at this one statistic in isolation when it comes to the U.S. and what they're doing for what's best for the West. I think that the fight against Russia is, in fact, a total Western fight because it's about Western values. So Western nations should be looking at sharing this pain and not the dollar amounts. When you consider percent GDP, which I said is a good reflection of the pain that a nation is enduring to help the Ukrainians, Let's look at who the top five countries are. And here they are in order from data that comes from a website called the Council on Foreign Relations, which is an independent think tank. And there are some other sources that have similar but not identical rankings and figures. So here's the list. Norway, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, Denmark all make the top five. And that's in order, Norway being the top. And they all contribute more than a full percent of GDP. Awesomeness. The next five are between 0.5% and 1% GDP. And when you look at them along with the top 10, with the exception of Norway and Denmark, they are all a short tank drive from Moscow. So it's no surprise that they're taking this seriously. And even Norway and Denmark have to think, hey, we're not that far away from being embroiled in a massive war with Russia. So that's why they're contributing as much as they are. But what about those wealthy nations who, with a 0.5% contribution, would be providing a lot of money? So the United Kingdom sits at 13th with 0.4%. So it's doing okay. And in fact, it makes the second highest contribution in terms of sheer dollar value to the Ukraine. Canada sits at 16th, which is at 0.25%, which is around the same as the U.S. in terms of percent GDP. France, Spain, and Italy, all of which have big economies, are all under 0.1%. And are you ready for this? One of the major Western allies, Australia, here's their figure, 0.03%. What a joke. This despite the foreign minister, Penny Wong, having a website that highlights Australia's measly $900 million commitment and says, quote, Australia remains steadfast in our commitment to shaping a world in which no country dominates and no country is dominated, end quote. I really can't handle the soft talk coming out of Australia. I think it's just so weak. And Australia, which is a nation that depends heavily on trade and will really need the EU and US markets in a future conflict with China, is just sitting back and letting everyone else do the heavy lifting with respect to defending the West in the Ukraine. 
Yes, Australia has provided some great gear in that $900 million, but 0.03%, I just find that a laughable number. And that's for what could well be an effort to prevent the start of a major European war. Australia, that's not good enough. As Cameron said, a bit of financial pain now is well worth the effort to prevent a far more costly war in the future. To put these contributions into a tangible form, here are some examples of recent expenditures. NATO provided $5 billion worth of Patriot missiles. Canada provided $500 million worth of armored vehicles. And Australia, for 2024, is providing a 90-person training support team from Australia, which they're costing at $200 million for 2024. And get this, and if it wasn't so serious, it'd be laughable. The Ukrainians put in a request to Australia to send coal. Right, coal. Something that Australia has a lot of. And believe it or not, the Australian federal government is considering it. They didn't just go, yeah, we can do that. No, they're considering it. Totally lacking in Spartan spirit. At least Simon Birmingham of the Australian opposition said, quote, Ukraine's war to defend their sovereignty from Russia's illegal invasion is a significant test of democratic nations' resolve to defend international rules, end quote. Simon, well said. Indeed, it is. And Birmingham's sentiments brings me back briefly to the situation in the U.S. And I'll quote Shalanda Young, the director of the Office of Management and Budget in the U.S. government, quote, I'm very concerned that it's not just the United States' resources that are necessary for Kiev to stop Putin. It is, what message does that send to the rest of the world? And what will their decisions be if the United States does not step up to the plate? End quote. And she was talking about the blockage of the $50 billion. And she's right. In fact, the West needs to band together here. The Ukrainian war is now entering its third year. The West needs to show some staying power on this because it only emboldens Russia when they see the West wavering and lowering the amounts of money they're providing the Ukraine. And I, for one, intend to keep beating the Ukrainian war drum because if there are two nations the West should be concerned about, it's Russia and China. The sideshow in Gaza that has everyone's attention will get resolved. And yes, as tragic as it is for the Palestinians, the world has done nothing to resolve the situation in Gaza, so it's no surprise Israel is sorting it out. We can't make a similar mess of the Ukraine, or Taiwan for that matter, or any other nation Russia or China is going to be aggressive towards. The West needs to step up and get really committed regarding the Ukraine. And I'll end this week with another word from David Cameron, quote, The Ukraine is the great test of our generation, the great challenge for our generation. Are we going to defend this democracy? And are we going to recognize that European security is also American security? And we should stay united on this. Hear, hear, David. For you United Kingdom listeners, when you go to vote in your upcoming elections, I hope you'll consider just how good of a foreign secretary you have with respect to the number one security issue of this decade by fighting for Western values as forthrightly as David Cameron does and what he's said here. He truly demonstrates Spartan spirit leadership and is a true leader of the West. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Spartan Spirit Leadership, which is produced every other week. 
And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share a link with someone and give the podcast a rating. Thanks for listening. Thank you.